Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Matthew, chapter 1. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We will look at, in verse 18 through 25, we're going to talk about the birth of the Messiah. Now, I like outlines. I think outlines are good, and they make things simple, and I'm a simple guy. So outlines make things simple. If you have your pad and your pen, I'm going to give you an outline this morning. Six areas that describe his birth. Number one. The circumstances of his birth were unusual. They were unusual. Secondly, the conduct of Joseph was special. Thirdly, the conception of Jesus was supernatural. Fourthly, the calling of his name was remarkable. Fifthly, The coming of Jesus was prophetic, prophetic. And then last but not least, the commitment of Joseph was honorable. The commitment of Joseph was honorable. The circumstances of his birth were unusual. We'll find that in verse 18. The conduct of Joseph was special. Verse 19. The conception of Jesus was supernatural in verse 20. The calling of his name was remarkable, verse 21. The coming of Jesus was prophetic, verses 22 and 23. And then lastly, the commitment of Joseph was honorable. We will find that in verse 24 and 25. Matthew chapter 1, saints beginning in verse 18. If you're with me, say a hearty amen. Amen. Oh, that was weak, you guys. Say amen. Look at verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to divorce her, to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son and you shall call his name. What saints? Jesus, for he will save his people. Circle that. Underline it. Remember it. He will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet Isaiah, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, 
and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Well, then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did circle that as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. And he did not know her till circle that she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name. What saints? Jesus. Now, number one in our outline, the circumstances were unusual. We can see that in verse 18. Now, you could title this chapter today, Christmas in May. I don't know about you, but some of us like Christmas all year long. The birth of the Messiah. Notice the Bible says the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows, or this is how it happened. Now, I find it interesting, maybe you will too, Matthew just jumps right in, and it's almost, remember, Matthew is a Jew writing to the Jews about the king of the Jews. And it's almost as if Matthew just jumps right in, hits the Jew right between the eyes, listen, the birth of Jesus Christ, the birth of the Messiah, this is how it happened. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, a Jewish person reading verse 18 would read these verses and this text actually a whole lot different than we would read it. They would read it quite differently. It means something different to them than it does to us. You see, the circumstances are unusual because, number one, the engagement had already taken place. You see, when someone in that culture was engaged... They were actually married. Now, the word engagement to us means something totally different to a Jewish person when they read the word engaged or betrothed. Same word. See, today in our culture, people go in and out of engagement like they drive in and out of KFC. Isn't it true? I'm like, what's up with that? People come up, oh, Pastor Rodney, I'm engaged to be married. Look at my ring. Oh, it's just so beautiful. And they have so much joy and they're skipping through the tulips. And just enjoy, oh, I'm engaged. I'm so happy and he loves me. And oh, it's a, and you see him about a month later and they look like they've been sucking on lemons. What's wrong? Oh, that jerk. He broke off the engagement. Really? Did you give the ring back? No, I'm keeping that. I deserve it. Y'all know how it is. It's like we go in and out of engagement like it's no big deal. Well, in the Jewish culture, that didn't happen. You see, in the Jewish culture, when you were engaged, it was all over for you. (laughs) Now, what I mean is, what I mean, Keith, you know what I'm saying. What what I mean is, like, I'm happy to be married. I want you, at 20 years I've been married, and I love my wife more than ever. Dear. I do. It's the truth. Good save, Rodney. Good save, man. 
What I mean by it's all over, meaning that in the Jewish culture, when you are engaged, when you get engaged, listen, there is no more hanging out with the boys, no more flirting and playing the field and shopping around and checking out the babes. All that's over. You see, in the Jewish engagement stage, a contract was signed and could only be broken by divorce. Now, I had the opportunity to marry many of you even here today. And you know how it is after the wedding. You go to the reception and it never fails. I'm telling you, the bride, the groom, the best man and the maid of honor, they make sure that I don't leave the reception until I have signed the contract. And, they, you know, you get pictures of it. Some of y'all got it where you signed it, which I, I don't know why you want to get a picture of you signing a contract. <laughs> you know what I mean? They take you to court. Here's a picture, Judge Mathis, you know. but that's what happens. People get, you know, you sign the contract and when the contract is signed, they don't want me to leave. Why? Because they know it is binding. When the contract is signed, you are married. And get this in the Jewish culture, they would announce that engagement at the home of the bridegroom. Bring the, the fiance over mom and dad. This is the woman of my dreams. And we get married. We're going to get married. And they have dinner with mom and dad. And, you know, and the parents actually witness the signing of the contract. And when the engagement was announced and signed, then it would last for approximately one year. And it was during that one year that they were to spend time becoming friends. The rabbis taught the most important thing to know in wedding is how to be friends. That's so important. How to be friends. You know, I thank the Lord that my wife and I were friends long before we were lovers. We were friends. I liked her just for who she is. Plus, she likes guy movies. And that, you know, well, that helps. And we were friends. We enjoyed just hanging out together. I remember the first time I asked her on a date. And, uh, and uh, we were uh, at church. And after church, um, I asked her to go out, and I said I'd buy you a hamburger, you know. And a splurging, y'all. And uh, I'm just kidding, splurging. And I said, I'll buy you a hamburger. Now, remember, my wife was previously married. And her first husband was killed in a car accident. She had three children when I met her. And they were seven, three, and 12. And so I asked her out on a date. And, I, and it was after church. I said, hey, I'm, I'm, let's go out and I'll buy you a hamburger. I said, but I ain't buying your kids no, no hamburger. <laughs> I told her straight. You know, I'm not like that. <laughs> you know, I don't know you that well to be buying your kids a burger. I'm sorry. That's a little bit much for me. <laughs> you know, kind of makes me in an uncomfortable zone. So I'm not buying your kids a burger. You, you, a matter of fact, she made more money than I did. She had more stuff than I did. So I think it's her responsibility to buy her kids food. That's just the way it is. 
You know, I, I'm I'm one. See, all this 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 new, you know, the the old school thinking. I, I'm not so sure. I agree with it. I, you know, like you know, I, I'm gonna I work and I pay all the bills and all the stuff comes from the man. You know what? Listen, if you make more money, you buy everything. <laughs> Why not? You got more money than I do. So then we, well, then we go out on a second date, and we went to Love's Restaurant. Is the name of this place. I'll never forget it. And uh, she bought then, too, as a matter of fact. <laughs> yeah. She... And then we went to the movies after that, a third date. And yeah, she bought then, too. Yeah, she just. But we spent the time becoming friends. How often do we marry for all the wrong reasons? When in fact, listen, when that cute little nose and how cute they are, all that wears away. Give it about three years. Okay, they won't be as cute as they were when you first met them. It's the truth. All of the love stuff and the gushy feelings and, oh, I just love them. They're so cute. I can just eat them up. And all that cute little nose and all the best things since ice cream, all that will change. All of the feelings, and uh, you know, people tell me all the time as a pastor, I don't feel like I'm in love anymore. Hello, that's a normal process in the marriage day. But what happens is when all the feelings, you know what I'm talking about, the goosebump type feelings, when all of that wears away, you will have at the base of your relationship, you will have number one, if you're a Christian, you'll have Jesus Christ, a foundation by which to build on. And then you will have each other as friends. When all of it wears away, you will be friends with your mate. That is important. And then because you're friends, then you'll start doing stuff nice for them because you genuinely like them. And what will happen is you'll stop for the flowers sometime. You'll cook him the meal he really likes. You'll start pouring into the relationship. And what happens in the lovey feelings start coming back again. Amen. Does that make sense? So important to be friends in this engagement stage. They would become friends. And last for a year. Then they would get married. And then seven days would be the time period of the wedding. And the, at the wedding point, then they would consummate their marriage. The wedding feast would last for about seven days. Now, you might remember the story in Genesis chapter 29, the story of Jacob and Rachel. You remember that story? Jacob was working for Rachel for seven years. And at the end of the seven years, he got married. And that night, he, they went in to consummate the marriage. And when he woke up in the morning, he was shocked because the woman he thought he was marrying wasn't the woman he wanted to marry that he worked seven years for. He was shocked. See, when he woke up, he had married Leah. Now, the name Leah means Sore eyes. I'm just assuming she wasn't that great to look at. So when he woke up, ah! Woo! <laughs> Who's that? 
You are definitely not the one I wanted to marry, see? (laughs) He wanted to marry Rachel. You know the story. Rachel means gorgeous, beautiful. And so he had to work another seven years to marry Rachel. You know that story. And so the marriage feast, according to Genesis, lasts for seven days. And this seven-day party, get this, was always held at the bride's home. And that's interesting. That's actually where we get the tradition where the father of the bride pays for the wedding, which I think we should change that tradition. (laughs) Say amen, fellas. (laughs) (laughs) But that's where we get it from because the party was held. All the men are like, yeah, man, now you're preaching, bro. Now you're preaching because it was held at the bride's home. Now, don't you find it interesting? I do that God get this relates the coming of our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, to a Jewish wedding. And I'm glad about that. I'm glad the Jewish wedding teaches that you got to break the engagement by a divorce. I'm glad. Why, Rodney? Because that tells me and gives me a quiet confidence that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will never divorce us. The Bible teaches when we finally see Jesus, our bridegroom, face to face, we're going to get married to him. And one day he's going to come. See, I really believe Jesus is coming back. Amen, saints? I believe that. And when he does come back, he's going to take us on a seven-year honeymoon in heaven. And then we're going to partake of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then we will rule and reign with him forever. So, You got to understand as you read verse 18, a Jewish person reading these verses that Mary was betrothed to Joseph, they would read this verse a lot differently than we would. Also, the circumstances of his birth were unusual because notice in your Bibles again in verse 18, it reads, before they came together, she was found with child. Now, Luke chapter one gives us another Aspects or fills in the blanks with Matthew concerning the Christmas story. In Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 28, it says, And having come in, having come in, the angel said to her, Mary, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you, note this, among women. Now, the angel shows up and he says, Mary, you are blessed among women. Women. Notice he doesn't say, Mary, you are blessed above women. I went to Catholic school for many years, as I have told you in the past. And in my Catholic teaching, I have been taught that Mary, in many respects, was above women. In my Catholic teaching, I was taught and I know that Catholics seek to elevate Mary to a place that I believe grieves even Mary. They say that Mary was a perpetual virgin who rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. We call this the Assumption of Mary. They teach that Mary was a co-mediator between God and man. They teach that Mary was a co-redemptress 
That means that Mary helped Jesus in redeeming men, buying men out of the slave market of sin that Mary helped in this. And so they elevate Mary to a place that is above women. Notice the angel said, blessed are you among women. And not only that, I believe though most certainly it grieves the heart of the Lord for them to do this to Mary. And I believe that it grieves the heart of Mary because Mary in the Magnificat there in the gospel of Luke, she acknowledges when the angel tells her that she's blessed among women, she's blown away. And she starts talking about she's going to give birth to God, my savior, she says. Even Mary herself realized that she needed a savior. And then fast forward to Acts chapter one. We see Mary gathered together in the upper room with the disciples waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come and to live with inside of her and to empower her to live this life as a Christian, just like every other believer. I most certainly believe, and I believe the Bible is clear, that Mary would be grieved to understand that anyone would be elevating her to a position that she does not belong. Now, conversely, Protestants protesting this teaching of Mary, about Mary, I think they go to the other end of the, we go to the other end of the pendulum and we say, well, Mary was just like any other woman. Well, that's not true either. Mary is not just like any other woman. The angel said, Mary, you are blessed among women. Mary, you are favored and more fortunate than all other women. So I think we need to be careful not to devalue the fact that Mary was an awesome woman of God, probably about 13 to 16 years old when she received Jesus in her womb. And we need to be careful not to diminish that, but also be careful not to elevate that to a place where the Bible is, does not teach. Amen, saints? Now, the circumstances were unusual also. Why? Because Jesus was born of a virgin. Oh, we know that also from Luke chapter 1, verse 31 through 35. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And then Mary said to the angel, well, how can this be? Man, I don't understand this. How can it happen? I've never known a man. And the angel said to her, this is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now, there are many who want to argue the virgin birth of Christ. It is not possible. You can't miss the fact that Jesus, in the scriptures, Jesus was not the product of a natural sexual union between a man and a woman. Notice the Bible says again, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. In other words, Mary was a virgin and became pregnant by the Holy Spirit. The virgin birth. Now, what you believe about the virgin birth 
is very important. What you believe about the virgin birth is extremely important for many reasons. First of all, if Jesus was born like any other baby, he could not be God. If Jesus were not born of a virgin, then the Bible is not true. And if the Bible is wrong about the virgin birth, then what else is the Bible wrong about? What you believe about the virgin birth most certainly is very important. If Jesus were not born of a virgin, then the early creeds of Christendom are also false. You remember we sing about it, the Apostles' Creed. We believe in Jesus Christ, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, the Apostles' Creed. If Jesus had two human parents, it would be difficult to see how he could be perfect and sinless. We call this the impeccability of Christ. What does that mean, Rodney? Well, it simply means that Jesus Christ's life was impeccable. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccary.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.